Hello everybody, Mackenzie here once again, and just as I explained in yesterday's episode, uh, this past week on Tuesday, January 30th, we lost two amazing members of the Broadway musical theater and theater community, and that was Hinton Battle at age 67 and the wonderful and comfortable Chia Rivera at the age of 91. And both these individuals were hugely influential members of the theater community, and because of that, it was felt by us here over for the Downbeat that we would not be starting our backs of an episodes this week, but instead we will be honoring both these great talents of the theater community by releasing some tribute episodes to them. Uh, with uh, Mr. Hinton Battle, we haven't dived too much into his canon yet. Uh, but we did know that he had won his third Tony for Miss Saigon, so we released our Miss Saigon episode yesterday in honor of Mr. Hinton Battle. And with Cheetah, we have done a lot of her shows, actually. We started this whole podcast with West Side Story, which was her big breakout show that she was a part of, where she originated the role of Anita and made everybody want to be in America with that beautiful purple dress. And then in season two, we covered... Chicago, where she stole the stage as Belma Kelly and was a great scene partner to Gwen Verdon and taught us what all that jazz was all about and pontificated about whatever happened to class. And then we, in season four, did Bye Bye Birdie, where she taught us what it was to be a Spanish rose with the Shriner Ballet and everything being rosy. And so... And that was the show she got her first Tony, Tony nomination for, even though I think she should have gotten nominated for Anita in West Side Story too. But that being said, so we remastered both West Side Story and Chicago. And so it was felt that the episode we haven't remastered yet is Bye Bye Birdie. And so because of that, we decided let's dive back in, let's remaster it, and let's release it as this was a special show for Cheetah, as this was kind of one of her first big shows that came along after West Side Story, and she was so enamored with the show that she came back for the sequel. Less beloved musical, Bring Back Birdie. But she was just an incredible talent and a true trailblazer. I mean, you look at her whole life and her work. I mean, she is just someone who never stopped. I mean, she was the first Latina and first Latino American to receive a Kennedy Center honor in 2002. She received the Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2009. She won the Tony Lifetime Achievement Award in 2018. She won the Tony for uh, both The Rank and for Kiss of the Spider Woman. I will spoil now for you, but we do have Kiss of the Spider Woman coming out later this season, so we will definitely be diving into that one as well. But she did that. She also appeared in Close to Sweet Charity. She also was in the, did a cameo in the recent movie musical Tick, Tick, Boom. She appeared on The Judy Garland Show, The Girl Burnett Show, Will and Grace. She did Jerry's Girls, Nine, The Revival of Nine. She did her own one-woman show. She did Dancer's Life in 2005. And most recently, she was on Broadway in The Visit in 2015, starring the late, great Roger Reese opposite her. She's just someone who never stopped. And even this past year, she released her memoir, which I highly recommend you read, which was Cheetah, a memoir. And it's a great deep dive into her life and her career. And she's someone who kept fighting coming back. I mean, I mean, after the 80s where she had won her Tony in the rink and it had kind of a bit of a tumultuous time in Jerry's Girl, she then got into a very horrific car accident and broke her leg, which, if you know as a dancer or anybody, but particularly as a dancer, 
that could be the end of your career, but she fought, she came back, she had surgeries, and she was able to come back and win her second Tony because of the Spider-Woman. So she's someone who was an inspiration to so many people, and she was on that list of great performers that I, that I knew was probably very rare I'd ever get to see her because of her age and how she had slowed down and wasn't performing as much anymore. But uh, she's someone who I deeply admired, and I wish I had had a chance to see live because she's just someone who every person I've spoken to who has seen her perform, who I've seen her perform live, said she just captured you on stage and kept you enthralled with her. And she's someone who you know we will not see the likes of again. She was an old school Broadway performer, a hard worker, someone who never stopped and who blazed many a great trail. So we say thank you so much to the wonderful Cheetah Rivera who, you know, we all knew the day would come, and yet the days here, and we're all still in disbelief of what's happened. So, R.I.P. to Miss Cheetah Rivera, and we look forward to seeing you dance again when we all get to those pearly gates. But for now, thank you so much for all you've given us, and everybody, please enjoy this special tribute that we've given Miss Cheetah Rivera with this re-release of our episode of Bye Bye Birdie featuring both Autumn and myself. Thank you. Bring, bring, hi, Autumn. Hi, Mackenzie. What's the story? Morning glory. What's the word? Hummingbird. Have you heard about before the downbeat? I have. Hello. <laughs> Hello, everybody. What an intro. I was so uh, hoping you would do that. <laughs> well, I mean, you have to. Hi. You have to. That, that song just perfectly fits an intro. Good morning and hello. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. I am your host, Ginger Mackenzie. And today, once again, I'm joined by the Canadian B. Arthur, the uh, director extraordinaire, the, what, what can we say this time? The May Peterson to my Albert Peterson. Oh, Lord. He aged me. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> it's the voice, Adam. You have the voice for a May Peterson. Yeah. Smoky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's Autumn Smith, everybody. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch the mink stole. Right. Exactly. Albert. <laughs> Wow. So good. Wow. So good. But yes, Autumn, how are you and what are we talking about? Oh, well, listen, friends, we are talking about that 1957-60s nugget, golden nugget, bye-bye, birdie. That's right. We love you, Conrad. Oh, yes, we do. We love you, Conrad, and we'll be true. Take it, Autumn. When you're not near us, we're blue. Oh, oh and we love you.
I chose this musical. I know it could be a hard guess considering both Anna and I are singing the lyrics and the songs quite easily. But yes, this was a Mac pick. Yes, it was. Yes. <laughs> it really yes. was. It really was. I think yeah. the rest of the season is your picks. Maybe the, uh, the second last mm-hmm. one is my pick. Yeah, I, well, I don't know. Yeah, maybe that is the way it's working out just because we rearranged the schedule so many times. I originally had on my notes here for this, episode three. Bye bye, Bernie. <laughs> That's what is it now? Episode, episode nine. Episode bye. 10, actually. We're heading into the back half of season oh, four already. My, my, my. Mm-hmm. Episode 10. Bye yes. bye, Birdie. Yes, yeah, so Birdie's moved around quite a bit this season. It, it, it's been one of the moving episodes, and we haven't quite figured out where it's going to fall in the mix. But I had it ready for episode three. So, Hilarious. yeah. But yeah, I chose this show because it's a great mix of classic Broadway mix of that classic nostalgia rock 1950s Leave it to Beaver feeling. It's a light family musical but it also has some deeper messaging about mob mentality, intergenerational dynamics, and how generations create this cohesive environment to learn and communicate and find understanding with one another. It's one of, the, it's one of these weird shows that you think it's one thing, but then we actually kind of start drilling into the book. It's like, oh, wait, they're actually were trying to say something at a time when we were about to transition to, into a very tumultuous decade. Yeah, I suppose. It was the calm before the storm, right? Very much so. Very much so. Yes, I guess. If you want to read really into this. <laughs> I also love the OG Rosie and Albert, played by Dick Van Dyke and Cheetah Rivera. They're like... I geez. mean... Seriously, how can you get Jeff better is. than that? But my experiences with the show started spring of 2007 when I was cast by Arcadi in his production of Bye Bye Birdie to play the kiss ass Randall McAfee. Oh my God. Sorry, Randolph. Of course you were, I, of I was course you were Randall. Yeah, Randolph. We're, Randolph, we're Randolph, sorry. Yeah, Randolph McAfee. That makes the most sense to me yes i was the kiss ass kid (laughs) with all the adults i love it and yeah yeah and i mean it was the largest role i'd done at that time it certainly was one of the most fun i had on stage i was actually part of the adult cast you and i were the kids that got like got our kicks from hanging with the adults oh absolutely. what does that say about us it just means autumn that we're old souls we're totally old souls. Yes. yes. Yeah. We're old souls. And that's why that works. Yeah. But yeah, I right. had so much fun doing all the family scenes with my fellow McAfee's. Like, it was just such who a Who were your fellow McAfee's in your production? Oh, who did I have? I had Carly Akins as my mom. I had Gabby Epstein as Kim. Oh, and good. I had Eric Craig as my dad. Eric Craig was your dad? Yeah. That's hilarious. Anyway, that's besides the point. But yes, hilarious. I. But, but yeah, but yes, I did the show, and that's one of the reasons why I also chose it was because I was like, "Okay, we got to talk about my one really mm-hmm. cool piece that I did with Talk History." I, I did a lot with Talk History, so this, but this is up there as, as one of the, as one of my favorites. Um, I love it. Yes, I've also done this piece. 
Yes, Ottoman. Who did you play? I played Rosie. <laughs> it was a different time, Autumn. It was a different time. It was a very, it's a very different time. <laughs> I, you know. 1980s Oshawa. 1980s Oshawa. Did we know any better? Heck no. And I was a teenager. I certainly didn't know any better at that time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was giving her, I was like 17 or something. Different time. Yeah, see? Yeah, exactly. You wouldn't, wouldn't have known. I better. think back on on the roles I have played, and I shudder. My inclusivity advocate shudders at what I was subjected to as a child. <laughs> but then I'm like, well, we, I I didn't know any better. No one was teaching me any better at that time. Yeah. So it's all about being educated and being curious. It is. It is. Yeah, I did the whole Spanish rose dance. I dug out my Bessonita heels from West Side Story, <laughs> and I just gave her little. Did you also play in at some point? No, no, no. But they put me in like this lycra rose dress, and Love like it. with all this black lace, and <clears throat> they didn't change my hair color. So, and I didn't tan my skin. Okay, that good. So you didn't like bronze yourself for it. No, 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 no. We just went with the idea that maybe, I guess, there was no specificity during mm. my youth either. <laughs> a very different artist now. <laughs> you have but evolved. I've evolved. Yes. Most Which is definitely certainly. not a bad thing. Definitely not a bad thing. No, it's a, a bloody fine thing. It's a yes. bloody, bloody fine thing. And we'll get into more appropriating things as we move forward through this season. It is true. We do have a few other shows in, in the list that are, that oh, are yeah. definitely going to be stimulating conversations. I'll say. Mm-hmm. But I'll say. here we go. So let's get into this with the plot. plot. Because in case people don't know, Bye Bye Birdie is a musical about Albert Peterson. Who is a songwriter and his client, Conrad Birdie, has been drafted into the army, which will leave Albert's heavily indebted family firm in jeopardy. So Mm -hmm. his girlfriend slash secretary, Rose, also called Rosie Alvarez, Mm -hmm. comes up with a last ditch publicity stunt to have Birdie record and perform a song and bestow one last kiss on a fan before he is sent overseas. Not Mm -hmm. a bad like marketing gimmick. No, it's a great marketing gimmick. And it was played yeah. off of like the idea of Elvis, right? And Correct. Like, the whole blowout with yes. gyrating hips, et cetera, et cetera. Correct. Correct. So teenager Kim McAfee is chosen for this event. So Albert, Rosie, and Conrad head to Sweet Apple, Ohio. Sweet, Sweet Apple. Apple. Right? Great name. Apple pie. Humble yeah. as apple pie. Exactly. Yeah, so... In Sweet Apple, Kim is, has just started going steady with local boy Hugo. When Conrad arrives in town, it causes quite a stir that upsets the parents and Hugo. And he begins to develop jealousy toward Conrad, despite Kim's reassurances that he's the one boy, one special boy. That, yeah, we'll get into that song. One boy to live for forever and ever. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Gross. You're a teenager. You don't know yet. Yeah. Get over yourself. (laughs) But yeah, Kim tries to reassure Hugo. Doesn't quite go well. At the city ceremony presentation, Conrad is presented with the key of the city. And Conrad performs 
which sends the teenagers and other townsfolk, particularly the women, into hysterical fits. It's like uh, Chippendales. Chippendales for children. Great. Exactly. Exactly. Then uh, Albert's overbearing mother, May, arrives. May. Yep. After receiving a, a telegram stating that Albert, following Conrad's deployment, was dissolving the business and settling down with Rosie to become what, Autumn? An English teacher. That's right. An English teacher. It's really someone. Yes. How proud I'd be if you had become someone. Yeah. It could have happened such a wonderful life. I could have been Mrs. Peterson, Mrs. Albert Peterson, Mrs. Phi Beta Kappa Peterson, the English teacher's wife. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So May is unhappy with this news and also with Rosie's Hispanic heritage. And she starts to attempt to break them up. And she does this by introducing Albert to Gloria Rasputin, a blonde. Yeah, great name. She's um, she reminds me of the character from the producers. Ula. 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 Yes. yes. That yes. could be a cross cast for the ages. <laughs> Gloria, the curvy blonde, she met on the bus who could replace Rosie as a secretary. Like clearly May is not trying overly hard as she finds somebody on a bus. To try and dissuade her son. Um, Albert gives Gloria a typing job and Rosie is furious. But she Mm -hmm. convinces Hugo to sabotage the last kiss. On the broadcast... He has mummy issues. Oh, absolutely he does. Uh, Get over yourself. (laughs) Uh, On the broadcast, Conrad sings one last kiss and as he leans in to kiss Kim... Hugo runs on stage, punches him, knocks Conrad unconscious, and Rosie dumps Albert while he tries to recover from the mishap of the evening. Uh, you go, later- girl. <laughs> you go. Right? Later that night, Kim and Rosie commit to leaving Hugo and Albert, and Conrad, wanting to enjoy his last night of freedom, decides to hit the town. Along the way, he encourages the youth of Sweet Apple to party. And so Conrad, Kim, and all the teenagers, except Hugo, head to the local ice house. So problematic. But, hey, all you cute children, come with me to the ice house. It's creepy, but that's just me. It is creepy, but the fact that, we'll get into this scene later, about about how Conrad responds to, to, to particularly Kim's advances shows that he's not a creepy guy. He's just wanting one last night out, but he also is the Pied Piper. So, like in that fable, he draws the kids along with this thing of, we got a lot of living to do. And Sizzling then drowns stakes. them. Well, That's yeah, how the Pied Piper ends. Yeah, in that version, the Pied Piper drowns them. But in this one, Conrad just gets swept up in the moment. But he's also accused of, like, statutory rape. He's accused of it, but he never does it. But that's problematic. If you have, I'm sorry. If there's an older man pied piping my 15 year old into an ice house for a party, I'll be like, hell no, hell no. That's you're not going there, <laughs> and you're grounded for life. Hannah, I hope you're listening. To go to that. Oh, it was a simpler time, I guess. It was. It was. People left their doors and left and trusted strangers. 
I know, and hitchhiked and got murdered. We learned from it. We learned from this period. Yes. yes. Right? Anyway, we learned from the Ted Bundys. And it's but unfortunate. It, yeah, but I mean, exactly. But also the fact that kids go with him really does show that 1950s naive, trusting naivety that people had. I know. Right? Like, that was a thing. Like, people would love to send their kids out on overnight camping trips with scoutmasters and priests. Like, it was a... Used to drink from hoses. Well, that's fine. You Is it? From I don't know. Autumn, Red it's poisoning. Whatever. Autumn, you're sure fine. had a taste to it. Yeah, it's it did. Of... We all were fine. We all did it. We're fine. Were we? Or are we just not fine and not know the difference? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, back to the story. So, when <laughs> Mr. McAfee discovers Kim has run away, he and his wife, Doris, great name, Lament how disobedient kids are these days. Meanwhile, Rosie also hits the town and ends up at, at a, in a local bar. Mm. Ever calls and attempts to win her back. Rosie's mm. unimpressed and decides to interrupt a Shriners meeting. And a, and a flutey dance ensues, which gets out of hand. So Hugo and Albert rescue Rosie from the crazed Shriners. <laughs> we didn't have enough actors to play Shriners, so we cut the ballet. The, the oh, ballet. we did the full ballet. Did you really? Oh yeah, we did. That we is had every. Thing. It was a youth group production, so it was okay. So you had tons of kids. Yeah. So we had like all these young boys who had no idea what sexuality was, <laughs> chasing me around with their Shriner hat. Oh my god! Oh, What's that? <laughs> what is happening? Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. So then uh, Albert finally stands up to his mother telling her to go home. May leaves, but not before lamenting the sacrifices she made for him. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. McAfee arrive with the other parents in a panic over their missing children, and Hugo informs everyone of the party at the ice house. Mm. The adults and the police arrive at the ice house and arrest Conrad for attempted statutory rape, and Kim gets back together with Hugo. After reconciliation with Albert, Rosie, and Rosie tells May that she will marry Albert despite May's racist objections and despite being naturally born, and despite her being a naturally born American citizen from Allentown, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yeah. Allentown, PA. Yeah. So Rosie decides she will deliberately play up her Hispanic heritage just to annoy May. Which they call I think me the wild Spanish rose. Yes. Totally. Yeah, that's that's the stereotype right there. Yeah, it is. But once again, it's her saying, "You know what, you racist old lady, you want to oh, play this game? So racist. Fine. Up yours. Like let's. Like, oh yeah. Oh no, she claims it. And she's like, yeah, she claims it. it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So so it's not done as a poo pooing of the heritage. It's more like, you know what, old people, fine. You want to play this game? I'll show you my heritage. We'll really get into this. Yeah. Let's go with every single trope. Yeah. I'm going to love it and you're going to lap it up, suckers. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. So Albert bails Conrad out of jail and arranges for him to sneak out of town, dressed as a middle-aged woman, so he can report for army uh, induction as scheduled. And in turn, Conrad offers Albert a lifetime contract for bailing him out. Albert gets made to leave Sweet Apple on the same train, getting Conrad and his mother out of his life for good. 
Then the McAfee's arrive to see everyone off and reveal Hugo and Kim are now engaged. And Albert... At 16. Yeah. Then Albert tells Rosie they're not going back to New York. They're going to Pumpkin Falls, Iowa. Iowa. A small town in need of a married English teacher. Albert professes that everything is rosy with Rosie. And then they go off together, happily engaged. (sighs) And he settles to be an English teacher. It's a very good idea. But he, but once again, it's a a profession he actually likes. It's just his mother kind of got him involved in Al May Lou. And he got sidetracked. Al May Lou. Yeah. Al, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to you, Al. Okay, are we ready? Let's get into the creative team, because this is a whole new team we got here. Not really. Really? We've talked no. about, oh, no, I, we've I, talked I about a lot of people. We've talked about a few of these people, friends. All right. Okay. So the first person is our wonderful composer, Charles Strauss. You may remember our gentle friend, Charles, from our wonderful podcast on Annie. That's right. Rags. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's that guy. So I'm not going into depth about him. Go back and listen to one of our previous episodes. We've done it. So the lyricist Mm -hmm. is Lee Richard Adams. Mm -hmm. And he worked prolifically with Strauss. We probably talked about him, but he wasn't at the top of our list because we talked prolifically about Charles Strauss and the awesomeness that is him. But Strauss worked with Adams. Initially, they did summertime uh, reviews together. And then they went on to do Bye Bye Birdie together. And Adams actually won the Tony for this production. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was the first Broadway musical he wrote with Strauss. And then he wrote Applause in 1970s. That was their next collaboration. Classic. He also did Golden Boy. He also wrote the lyrics for All American. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Mm. Bring back Birdie and bring back Birdie. I not a good that. I don't think I want to hear about that. And a Broadway musical. He also wrote the book and lyrics for Ain't Broadway Grand. Now, additionally, Strauss and Adams co-wrote Those Were the Days. Those were the days. Adams was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 1989. And Mm -hmm. he's still alive. He's living in Briarcliff Manor in New York. Wow, I didn't know he was Uh, alive. Good for him. uh, Good for him. Yeah, he's an old dude. He's born in 1924. He's almost 100. He's almost 100. Wow. He's almost 100. You go, Lee Richard Adams. He's going to write up there with Betty White. R.I.P. Betty White. Thank you for being a friend. The book was written by Michael Stewart, who was an American playwright, dramatist, librettist, lyricist, screenwriter, and novelist. He was born Myron Stewart Rubin in Manhattan, Mm -hmm. attended Queens, and graduated from the Yale School of Drama with Mm -hmm. uh, an MFA in 1953. Early works include running sketches for The Shoestring Review, The Littlest Review, mm-hmm. and Shoestring 57. He then joined staff writers of Sid Caesar's television program, Caesar's House. Mm-hmm. 
He met Charles Strauss and Lee Adams in 1954. And several years after he collaborated with them and the director choreographer, Gower Champion. Yes. On Bye Bye Birdie. He then worked again with Champion and Jerry Herman on their musical, Hello Dolly, which opened on Broadway in 1964. Yeah. And then, so more of my notes are on Gower Champion. So, as they should be, prolific guy. We have not talked at all about Tower Champions. So sit back, relax. Or, we go. or Mark Champion, so, his partner. Yes, we're getting there. We're getting there, darling. So Gower, Carlisle, Champion. What can we just say? What Great a name. I would call anyone Gower or Carlisle. <laughs> it sounds like a Noel Cowardman. Oh, Carlisle, how are you today, darling? <laughs> you know. So he was an American actor, theater director, choreographer, and dancer. During the late 30s and 40s, Champion worked on Broadway as a solo dancer and as a choreographer. He served in the U.S. Coast Guard during World War II, and that's where he met Marjorie Belcher, who became his new partner, and the two were married in 1947. In the early 1950s, Marge and Gower made seven film musicals, including Mr. Music with Bing Crosby, the 1951 remake of our favorite showboat with Howard Peel and Catherine Grayson. Lovely to look at. The autobiographical Everything I Have is Yours. Give a Girl a Break with Debbie Reynolds and Bob Fosse. Mm. And Jupiter Darling with Esther Williams. And oh, three for the show with Betty Grable and Jack Lemmon. Love it. So it was that like golden age of musical filmmaking, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, good old days. Um, yeah, and they were all MGM, except for Mr. Music, which was Paramount, and Three for Show, which was Columbia. Gotcha. So throughout the 50s, they performed on a number of television shows, and then they had their own short-lived CBS sitcom called mm. The Mark and Gower Champion Show, huh. uh, which was based on their actual career experience. So Gower and March Champion appeared as mystery guests, in 1955, airing of What's My Line. How cool is that? Great show. In 1948, Champion had begun to direct as well. And he won his first of eight, eight Tony Awards. Wow. For the staging of Lend an Ear, the show that introduced Carol Channing <laughs> to New York City. During the 1950s, he worked on only two Broadway musicals, choreographing Make-A-Wish and Three for Tonight. Mm. 1960 is when things started to really perk up for him on Broadway. Okay. Uh, he had a solid success with, of course, the show we're talking about today, Bye Bye mm-hmm. Birdie. Yep. And it ran for 607 performances and won mm-hmm. four Tony Awards including Best Musical and two for Champions, Direction and Choreography. Mm -hmm. After Bye Bye Birdie, he went on to do Carnival in 1961, and it garnered seven Tony nominations. Wow. I don't think he won that one, though. In 1964, Champion directed one of Broadway's biggest blockbusters. Hello, Dolly. Dolly. Yep. It ran for almost seven years. And brought back the wonderful Carol Channing. Mm-hmm. Gave her an iconic role. 
it's her iconic role. It's her iconic role. The show won 10 Tony Awards, including Best Musical, and he garnered another two for direction and choreography. Champion had his fourth consecutive hit with I Do, I Do in 1966, and it featured Mary Martin and Robert Preston, who we talked about in Music Man. So his next show, Happy Time, broke his streak. Did not go well. What was the show? Uh, Happy Time. Nope. Champion directed minor hit Sugar in 1972 and a revival of Irene in 73. Flops. Mac and Mabel, 1974. Mm -hmm. Flop. But some beautiful music in that. Really beautiful music. And Complete Disasters, Rockabye Hamlet, seven performances, and a Broadway musical running only one night in 1978. Not to mention Pretty Bell in 1971. On top of this disastrous run, he and Marge divorced in 1973. Oh they no. Clear up my birth. Damn. Or Gower Carlisle. Yes. Oh, Gower Carlisle. Yeah. <laughs> Have a martini. Make it all go away. <laughs> so the run between 1964 to 1980. Not so good. But then in 1980, he choreographed and directed a stage adaptation of the classic movie, 42nd Street. Ah, yeah. That's it won the Tony for Best Musical and Champion was nominated for his direction and choreography, winning only the latter. Mm. But the show ran for 3,486 Wow. But Champion did not live to see one, having died in the morning on the opening day. Wow. A Jonathan Larson scenario. It is. That's sad. I didn't know that. That is very sad. Because 42nd Street, iconic. There you go. Well done. Okay. You ready for some production history? So this musical was originally titled Let's Go Steady. And the musical started as the brainchild of Ed Padula, who was a director turned stage manager. In 1958, Ed approached Charles Strauss with this concept of a show about happy teenagers versus the dramatic ones found in the 1957 musical West Side Story. Ed then brought on two book writers while Leon Strauss wrote the songs. They initially wrote seven, and three songs actually made it into the actually made it to the stage. Oh. Mark and Jared Champion were then brought on to the team. Gower did not like the book, so Ed fired the book the two book writers and then subsequently hired and fired five more writers, including <laughs> Mike Nichols and Elaine May. He fired Mike Nichols? He did. Oh, that's way to go, Gower. Yeah. Exactly. I didn't think Mike Nichols was that old, but I guess so. Yeah. 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 So then Michael Stewart was hired after being recommended by Lee and Strauss. Stewart's first version attempted to incorporate many of the existing songs. And this version was called Love and Kiss. And the plot was about a married couple on the brink of divorce and the children convincing them to reconcile. 
Ugh, no, no one's happy in that situation. Mm-hmm. The early previous subplot of a daughter trying to lose her virginity was cut from this draft due to Gower wanting to do a family show. <laughs> right? Fascinating. Still, the team was unhappy with the current product. Uh, something was missing. And then, when Elvis was drafted into the army in the event, having one last kiss was being pitched by the media, the concept clicked, and so Stewart and Lee devised this concept into a plot about a rock and roll singer going off to war and the effects this event has on teenagers in a small town in Ohio. Ohio. Yes, right. The original name of the rock and roll singer was to be Conway Tweedy. However, when the real Conway Twitty discovered... <laughs> real Conway Twitty. Yeah. Tweety. Tweety? Twitty? Tweety. Twitty. Twitty. Conway Twitty. Twitty. Yeah. Conway Twitty discovered a musical was using his name. He threatened to sue, so the name was changed to Conrad Birdie. The, the musical continued to evolve. Its title went from The Day They Took Birdie to Going Steady to then Goodbye Birdie, Goodbye before the creative team finally landed on the title, Bye Bye Birdie. In 1958, the concept of a rock and roll musical was unheard of, so getting backing required lots of work. The song One Boy proved to be the key song that won backers over. It was thought early in the casting process that Mark and Gower Champion would, on top of choreographing and directing this musical, would also star as Rosie and Albert. (laughs) Gower was quick to shoot that concept down. The character of Rose was originally written to be of Polish descent, so dancer Carol Henning was offered the part due to her big breakup performance in The Pajama Game. But after spending two weeks with Strauss, rehearsing the material for her audition, she came into the audition with no voice and ultimately wasn't cast in the part. Shirley McLean had been Heaney's understudy in the pajama game and was offered the part, but due to her Hollywood career taking off, her agent never forwarded her the offer. After going through several other actresses, the team was pitched on the idea of Sheeta Rivera. They all loved the idea, but the concept of Rosie being Polish had to be changed. The role the role of Albert was presented as Dick Van Dyke as a Dick Van Dyke type, but Dick was unknown at the time, and it was felt a name after what was needed. So Jack Lemon was considered, but Dick's agent persisted and got Dick an audition. At the audition, Dick won the team over, and they decided to go with a relatively unknown performer. The role of Conrad was originally written for comedian Dick Sean. But after reading earlier drafts in which Conrad's part was small, as the role was originally intended to be an Elvis impersonation, Sean declined the part. So, because that would be too many dicks. Well, hold on. So Dick Garter was cast (laughs) during the lengthy audition process instead. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, it's a lot of dicks here. I don't think I've ever said dick so many times in my life. Another relatively small part was that of the role of the father, Mr. McAfee. McGower felt that with the show being all about teenagers, a strong, funny presence was needed 
for, a, for, for the adult point of view. So Paul Lind was cast in the part. During rehearsals, Gower and Lind worked to build the part further. It was Paul who came up with the gag during the song Ed Sullivan to have Mr. McAfee come out and say dramatically, Ed, I love you. The rehearsal process was relatively smooth sailing. Excellent. Despite low advanced ticket sales for out-of-town tryouts in Philadelphia, following opening night, the show received rave reviews and tickets began selling quickly. It was during these tryouts that the 11 o'clock number, Spanish Rose, was added after Cheetah learned it in a day. So call me the wild Spanish Rose, the craziest flower that grows. I'll kick up my heels and see how it feels to be sultry Spanish Rose. Better than Polish rose or Polish yes. pierogi or something. I don't know. What would you, what would the Polish stereotype be? I actually now would really love to hear a song called Polish pierogi. That well, sounds really My cool. little Polish cabbage roll. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, it's so stupid. Like, I yeah, can't yeah. even. What song would have gone there that would have, I mean, you could have like played on those stereotypes, but. Yeah, you could have. Because you um, can't say Polish rose. That's a, no. Night. No, no. Doesn't sound right. No. That doesn't have that musical quality of Spanish Rose. You know what'd be fun? A fun music review. I'll tell you what would be fun. I just thought about this. Okay. Songs that should have been written in their original way. So like okay. Polish pierogi instead of Spanish Rose would be <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. They call me the Polish pierogi. I don't know. <laughs> what do you do? Uh, I just think that would, you know... So I love that. The way they were originally intended. Well, here's something for originally intended. Mm. So all songs in the show worked well, except for the song Put On a Happy Face. Gray skies are gonna clear up, put on a happy face. Brush off the clouds and cheer up, put on a happy face. Take off the gloomy mask of tragedy, it's not your style. You look so good that you'll be glad you decided to smile. Pick out a pleasant outlook, stick out that noble chin. Wipe off that full of doubt look, slap on a happy grin. And spread sunshine all over the place, just put on a happy face. Which was originally intended and staged to have Dick Van Dyke perform the number, jumping in and out of colored spotlights during the tech run of the telecast. But the concept wasn't meshing with audiences, so it was Marg who suggested Dick should sing the song to two sad teens early in Act One. Yeah. After restaging the song, and, and Dick Van Dyke, who hadn't been connecting with audiences up till then, suddenly became an instant audience magnet. Really? Yep. He's Dick Van Dyke. I know, but it's, it, it takes he's, the right formula to get him. He's the chimney sweep. What's the chimney sweep's name? Bert. He was Bert. Bert. He's Bert. 
But this How is before not love Dick Van Dyke. This is this is before all that. This is his. First I know, but ever. still, it's Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> you know, I love Dick Van Dyke. I know, I know. Whatever. So the show then moved to Broadway and opened on April the fourteenth, nineteen sixty, at the Martin Beck Theater with the cast including Dick Van Dyke as Albert, Cheetah Rivera as Rosie, Paul Lind as Harry McAfee, Dick Garter as Conrad Birdie. Susan Watson as Kim McAfee, Kay Medford as Albert's mother, May, and Michael J. Pollard as Hugo Peabody. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. Yep. Charles Nelson Riley was Dick Van Dyke's understudy. Uh, the show received more rave reviews and was nominated for seven Tony Awards, including Best Musical, Best Director, Best Choreography, Best Featured Actress for Cheetah, and Best Featured Actor for both. Dick Van Dyke and Dick Garter. The musical won four awards, including Best Musical, Best Featured Actor for Van Dyke, and Best Direction and Best Choreography for Gower. During yeah. the run, Van Dyke took a two-week hiatus to film the pilot episode for The Dick Van Dyke Show. The show then transferred to the 47th Street Theater, sorry, 54th Street Theater, and then the Schubert Theater before closing on October the 7th, 1961, after 607 performances. And then there's still more. In 1981, a sequel musical was written called Bring Back Birdie and it starred Donald O'Connor as Albert and Cheetah Rivera as Rosie. It closed after 31 previews and four performances. Oof, stinker. Mm-hmm. And Ranking starred as Rosie in the 1990. U.S. touring production. A 2009 revival production was mounted. It received very negative reviews. And that version starred John Stamos and Gina Gerson. And after John Stamos and Gina Gerson left the production at the end of their contracts, the show was forced to close early due to poor ticket sales. Then we also have two film versions of this. Uh, which are, there is the 1963 film version that starred Dick Van Dyke and Paul Lind, who reprised their stage roles as Albert and Harry McAfee. The cast also included Janet Lee as Rosie and Margaret as Kim and Maureen Staples as Stapleton as May Peterson. The right. screenplay heavily revised the musical and altered many plot elements. The film ranked number 38 on Entertainment Weekly's list of the top 50 high school musical movies. A TV movie was produced by ABC in 1995, and it starred Jason Alexander as Albert and Vanessa Williams as Rosie. Time Daly played May Peterson, and this film did add in new dialogue and songs to pad the runtime, as Jason Alexander explained in later interviews. This film uh, does stay more faithful to the overall stage show, though. On October 27, 2016, it was announced that Jennifer Lopez was to star in NBC's Bye Bye Birdie Live, but Lopez's busy schedule caused this production to be pushed to an indetermined date. Songs from the musical have been parodied in other media, including the song Kids in The Simpsons. Kids, I can nag and nag till my hair turns blue. Kids, you bum my folks and don't say thank you. Why can't you be like we are? Oh, what a bunch of brats. We ought to drown you just like cats. Adults, you run.
on our lives like you're Colonel Clink. Adults, you strut around like your farts don't stink. Adults, you're such a drooling, soaring, boozing, boring bunch. Surly, meanie, three martini lunchers. I just ate a thumbjack. And honestly sincere and the telephone song in Family Guy. Hi, Cleveland. Hi, Joseph. What's the story? Morning glory. What's the word? Hummingbird. Have you heard Peter Griffin is slow? Can he still drive a car? Can he drink at a bar? Will they let him have kids? Is his life on the stage? Hello, Mrs. Griffin. It's your neighbor, Quagmire. Now that Peter's mental, you probably have some needs. Get oh. on done. There's the end of production history. Hey, Autumn, we gotta take a pause. A pause? A pause for applause? (laughs) Well, we do like our applause, Autumn. But we're actually taking a pause because we want to give a special moment and a shout out to one of our new partners. It's Stu over at the Sounds of Broadway radio station. So let's give a listen to Stu, who's got a great message for us. Take it away, Stu. Take it away, Stu. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. Thanks so much, Stu. Autumn, what do you say we get back to the episode? Let's do it. All right, on with the show. Da, 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 da. Okay, top three songs, Autumn. Let's do this. What's your okay. number one? English teacher. It was only a sideline. That's what you said. You just needed some money. That's what you said. You were going to college and get ahead. Instead of being a music business bum, you were going to NYU and become an English teacher. An English teacher, an English teacher. If only you'd been an English teacher, we'd have a little apartment in Queens. You'd get a summer vacation, and we would know what life means. Did not make my list, but it is a good song. I I love it because she just wants look. The amount of times I have had this conversation with myself. Mm -hmm. Should I just go back into teacher's college and do that? Because Mm -hmm. I'd have a steady job. We'd have a nice, like, life. I'd have Mm -hmm. attention. I like teaching. What is my problem? And it's also, you know, because she comes from a racialized community that that idea of, you know, being, having those things is probably very important, right? Mm-hmm. Like success is measured with m- money, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. the struggle, the, as, you know, especially for people who have been racialized and, you know, othered their whole lives, yeah. that normalcy mm-hmm. must be incredibly important it's incredibly important to me as you know Mm -hmm. someone who has fought 
in this <laughs> art form. You know, it mm-hmm. sucks. It sucks. Yes. It's crappy mm-hmm. uh, life sometimes. And it's augmented by how she presents in the world. And that augments her struggle. And I think yeah. this is her like somewhere that screams on. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly you know? what I was going to say. That is, this is yeah. exactly somewhere that screams. This is her wanting simplicity. She's wanting the simple life. Oh. Yeah. Not wanting. She might hate it when she gets it. She might hate it. She might be like, eh. But she she, she may not like it, but it's the whole thing of she's living in this tumultuous time with Albert and his pesky mother, who, and this difficult artist, and they're failing miserably. Now he's going off to war. So it's like, okay, here's our chance to get out and actually live the dream that even Albert was wanting to live originally till he got that's right not in with until his mom kind of coerced him into being a part of al melu she wants him to separate from his mother oh absolutely she does i get why (laughs) don't be codependent on your mother yeah Yeah. do you want to be with me or do you want to be with mommy you need to make a choice and rosie is really strong Mm -hmm. and she is not afraid of saying make a choice no that's exactly what she does throughout the whole show she's a feisty fierce woman and we Mm -hmm. we get to see these women in these complicated musicals right and Mm -hmm. i like that i like Mm -hmm. that she is feisty and she's kind of a little bit like the lady Macbeth. like she's the ideas person she comes up with everything brilliant in the musical it's true it's true i mean it's like lady Macbeth. she comes up with all the ideas Yes, I'm I say English teacher because you know what it really is it's you know when you're in the arts this is something that every artist I think contemplates is leaving the arts because it is excruciating. It is. And they're in the middle of nowhere. They're in mm-hmm. Ohio. And if I've learned anything They end up in Ohio. They're in New York originally. I know, but New York is even harder, but then they go to yes. Ohio. There's just discrepancies, right? And New York, if you're not big, if you don't have money, if you don't have the right connections, it's hard. This industry is hard. And I think she wants not only for herself, but for Albert, a mm-hmm. level of stability and simplicity. Yes. Just saying. <laughs> I understand. I, yeah. I understand the the want for the pumpkin falls because it's simpler. It's kinder. It's mm-hmm. slower. Yeah. You can be the best version of myself here. So, do you want to know what my number one is? I think I know what it is. I think I know what it is. Kids! I don't know what's wrong with these kids today. That was my number three, but I'll talk about it now. All right. I'll talk about that now. So, yeah, kids. Oh, I want to know what your first one is. Oh, okay. My first one is a normal American boy. He will gladly face those bullets, for he's not afraid to die. For he's a pirate and a patriot, and he's a American boy. And that's why he volunteered. Volunteered? I thought he was drafted. And he appealed three times. Sing. We love you, comrade. Oh, yes, we do.
That surprised me. Okay. Yeah, right. I like this one because it perfectly captures the entertainment frenzy that we still associate with celebrities like the Kardashians and Britney Spears, where a certain image is sculpted and then upheld by agents and publicists to keep sales and interest up. The song shows how ridiculous some of these types of spins are. And it's really satirical of the whole concept of the media. Because, I mean, and the orchestra is so funny because it's got this whole news theme. And then you got this lyrical patriotism flowing from Albert and Rosie to confuse the media. And then the fans and, and the fans, it's like what politicians do today, where they side talk out of their mouth. It's the rhetoric. Saying, it's the rhetoric and trying to hide what they don't want to talk about. Like the fact that you have the, the Sweet Apple Girls, like every time Albert gets into trouble, What's Rosie say? She says, sing. And all, and then these girls start chiming in with the, we love you, Conrad. Oh, yes, we do. To, to, to wave the hand, distract the media. But to, even if you listen to it, da, 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 da. Yeah, it's, it's got the American. It has that very American. Yes. Love you, Conrad. Yeah. It's very patriotic. It's extremely patriotic. Like, and I mean, the song just works for me on so many levels because there's got the fact that you got the fact that you wrote it where Albert goes down one side of the stage to talk about Conrad's version backstory there. And then you have Rosie doing the exact same thing. And the two groups again, completely different stories. And so Rosie says, He was born in Indochina. He was born in Old Virginia. Son of missionaries there. On a thousand acre farm. Very poor and very hungry. From a line of wealthy planters. Full of genteel southern charm. Soon he drifted down the And the evening by the river. To a waterfront saloon. In the moonlight he would croon. That is where I heard him That's singing. That's where Conrad started singing. Underneath the home. He was born in, in Indochina. Albert says he was born in Old Virginia. Rosie then cuts back to Son of Missionaries there. Albert on a thousand acre farm. Very poor and very hungry from Rosie. And then Albert, from a line of wealthy planters, Rosie, for what a cruel life to bear, Albert, uh, of genteel Southern charm. Like, it's just completely, like, different narratives. But what would happen is one version of media takes that story and spins it. The other media takes it. And, I mean, that's what we see all the time in news. That Oh, yeah. Well, it's about the to- spin. It's all about the spin. No one goes back and goes, yeah, oh, these are very different. They yeah. go, I got the exclusive. No, I got Right? The it's like. it's But Strauss and Lee are so smart because yeah, this really was happening were. in the 1950s with Elvis and in the media back then. And it's still happening today. I give full credit to Kris Jenner. She is a smart, savvy businesswoman who knows how to spin a story. Mm-hmm. Like. Like, she is so quick to fix things for that family and get the right story out. Like, the minute Kanye and Kim's divorce was getting heated, what happens? A birth announcement for Kylie, right? Like, it's spinning it all perfectly together to to create this. And so that's why I love this song, because it's so deceptive, where you as an audience get swept up in this moment, and you're left going, wait a minute, what just happened? You're caught in the web. Yes, and there's intricate, like, little spinners. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and we all fall into the narrative. Because yeah. it's a story. Because yeah. it's, like, dirty. And we want to be that, but we would never survive it. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
But see, that's the point. That's it entirely. Is that's what this song captures. But it's perky and it's fun. Once again, this show is taking dark subject matter, mm-hmm. but totally spinning it in a way that is very palpable to audiences. But, but Strauss is great at that. Like Strauss mm-hmm. is so good at, at examining culture. Mm-hmm. Like even Annie, like the idea of you know, we like to thank you, Herbert Hoover. Is he's so smart? Yeah. Like he's really tunes, his tunes get Americana, yeah. right? And, and he nails it musically. Anyway, yeah. All right, what's your number two? My number two is the telephone song. Almost made my list, but I I, I I had to bump it off for two others. I know it's predictable, but sure. it's so Every, smart. It's so smart, and I just imagine doing it. It's kids have never changed. No, like, Hannah will come home every day and go, "Oh my god, so and so's doing this, and so and so's doing that." It's really exciting, mm-hmm. and oh my god, these two people are dating. Oh my god, this girl wore a crop top today. <laughs> it's like, the most inconsequential, stupid things. And you're like, oh, the world is going to have so much more meaning in about 10 years time yeah. for you. But as teenagers, the, it's so narcissistic. Mm-hmm. And he nails it. He nails yeah. it. This teen nails it. Mm-hmm. And it's just little short clips. Have you heard about Hugo and Kim? It's so like, you want to kill them, but... It's, it's too catchy. It is. It is. But it's perfect. Like it's. It is. It's the big deal. It's. It is. It's well, up. It's well, annoying. Hugo Pinny Kim. That's huge. But but yeah. I, I mean I love the one team line, which is it won't last. Not at not all. at all. He's too thin. She's too tall. Too tall. Yeah. And then uh, and then on top of that you have oh what's his name Harvey Johnson and he also have Harvey Johnson Harvey <laughs> Johnson and can I speak to Penelope, Penelope. is it Penelope Ann or Penelope Sue I can't remember Pen- Penelope Ann Penelope Ann Penelope Ann <laughs> oh Harvey and then Harvey. on top of that then you then you also have the other guys ragging on Hugo the ah you Hugo ah you stupid. What you wanna go get him for? Well, I heard he's got him. Did you mean it? Well, it like just it's just so every, poppy. Like it's, it's and it also sets up every small town teen stereotype. Yes, it totally like, does. You do it right, but that's not. Oh, it's just so. But the overlaying of yeah. everything at oh. the end is brilliant. It's brilliantly yeah. constructed. I love that vamp. The oh, what's the line? It leads into it, but musically, it's so great. It's super smart. It's just super smart, and it nails it. It nails mm. 
the myopic, narcissistic, laser focused stupidity. Yeah. And I love teenagers. They also have a side that is way more complex than that. But this is the the gossip side, which is so prevalent in their lives. Mm -hmm. And you can see it happening on text. It's the whole thing of you can really picture the whole text chain going today or the Snapchats or whatever. Like it just it just builds. And and I mean the fact and the fact that you got the like it's just you can feel the L O L L O L smiley, 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 smiling. Yeah. Going steady, going steady, going steady, going steady for good, going steady. Like it's just the, the news is churning, it's spreading, it's spreading, it's spreading all over town. But it also, it parallels with what Rosie and Albert are doing. Totally. It's, like, it's the propaganda machine. Like It's huge It propaganda. goes from one phone call to the next phone call. Yep. It's the web of gossip. It's the yes. web story. It's the mm-hmm. creation of story. And that's how we start the show. We get this, yeah. like... You know, this is the first big company number of the show. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. It shows how susceptible these people are to propaganda. It's kind of like Music Man. Like, what else are you going to do in a small town except gossip? Mm -hmm. Yeah, look at I live in a small town. There's a lot of gossip. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the song also shows how Conrad is able to get all the kids to follow him to the ice house. Right? It shows that. They're already susceptible to the Pied Piper guy coming in and say, follow me to go to Sister's Day. It's new. It was a great idea to go to Sweet Apple. Mm -hmm. Because they knew the mentality of these people. (laughs) They knew the small town mentality. There's something new in town. We're going to go. Because nothing exciting happens here. Nothing. This is new. It's exciting. At least they're brave enough to go try it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. They're going off to that ice house. But yeah, no, yeah. Telephone Song is a great opening number to the show. Right. It's the first. It's kind of like, what's the one from Hairspray? Nicest kid, the, 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 the nicest kids in nicest town. Kids in first, town. It's that first song that kind of really uh, gives the, I, I get, I, I gets the show really moving. Because oh, until yeah. then, you had English teacher and you had the chorus of We Love You, Conrad. So yeah. two songs that are like, they're good, but they're not going to really get the audience. No, 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 And this no, is the no, song no. that like gets audiences, like get some hook, line, and sinker. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Okay, what's your second one? Rosie. Oh, everything is rosy. rosy. When I'm with my Rosie. Now my life is rosy. Since I found my Rosie With a girl like Rosie How could I be blue? Hand in hand we'll mosey Me and little Rosie We will be so cozy By a fire built for two Yeah, I like this one. I it's like it. So, I love this it. song. It's such a beautiful, simple way to end a very big, raucous musical. Yeah. That, it's this, that it just captures the romance of these two characters. It reminds the audience that this musical really is about a simple love story between two characters. That's right. But it's and, also, it sets up 
them leaving to a simpler time. Musically, yes. it's so simple. There's nothing complex about this song. Nope, at all. God no. No, I mean you. I mean, look at. I mean, you look at the lyrics. It's everything is rosy since I found my Rosie with a girl like Rosie. How could I be blue? Hand in hand, we'll mosey. Me and little Rosie. Little Rosie. We'll be so cozy by a fire built for two. Oh, I once heard a poem that goes, a rose is a rose is a rose. But I don't agree. Take it from me. There's only one rose sweeter than any that grows. And that's my rose. Like, how many times can we say Rosie in this <laughs> show? In this one song, right? But it's also Rosie is a, a beautiful color. Like, if, yeah. If well, once again, Rosie, right? Yeah. Once again, people like, what's the saying? People say, take off the rose tinted glasses. Yeah, right? That's right. But like, I mean, the song also shows why Albert makes a good songwriter and future English teacher because he is so poetic and lyrical. And this yeah. song just fits Albert's character. It's so well written for his character. And it's sweet. And the song just is a, it's easy to see why it's become like a hit single. Yeah. And still okay. fits in this piece. And I mean, compared to his other song, Put on a Happy Face, I don't really like that one compared to this one. This one I find is much sweeter and it feels less forced compared to put on a face which feels like a forced single where it's like we need to have a hit song that's going to transcend the show it's like yeah. put on a happy face this one feels just natural in, naturally in, in that song that. while he's convincing the kids he's also trying to convince himself true true i like yes, that but one. rosie yeah rosie is yeah yeah it's one of the few love songs that i do enjoy shocking I know. Shocking. Okay. So, what is number your number three? three? Are, you're going to be surprised. Oh, I, okay. I'm interested. Because we share the number three song. <gasps> kids. I don't know, I what's, know what's wrong with these kids today. Kids. Understand anything. who can understand anything they say. No kid, yeah, like finishes a sentence anymore. I know I, I have become Mr. McAfee. Yes. I should play Mr. McAfee because I've don't always understand. wanted to play Harry. Harry's Harry's the role I've always wanted to play in Bye Bye Birdie because it's just I, such a song that's timeless. Every generation goes through this with the next generation. Like, I guarantee, like, my friend and I are already talking about this. Like, he's a dad. About to have just told me he's about to have another kid. Bravo to them. But uh -huh. it's the whole thing of like talking about like what's this generation gonna be like? Like the fact that they've never experienced social things because of COVID. Like, what the hell is this generation gonna be like? Like, what are we gonna do? And it's the uh -huh. thing of like, oh my god, my generation's already becoming the old generation that's like, damn younger generation, they just don't get it. These kids. Kids. Who but can so understand anything they say? Yet truthful. Like the generations just don't get each other. And they're so no. critical and trying to force the younger generations to conform to their mindset. 
Well, and it's then, also the older generation just forgets, right? Because yes. they get stuck in their ways. And they're like, mm-hmm. ah. right? Yeah. Maybe we need to be a little bit more like kids, but we're afraid of what the implications of that might be. Exactly. exactly. It's, hard to, it's hard to allow yourself to be messy when you're an adult. It's true. It's really, really hard. But. Exactly. And I mean, I also love the fact that you get a reprise of this song with the whole adult mob which just furthers that mob mentality and really reflects the pushback adults are facing in the 1950s and 60s, mm-hmm. where their way of life is really being forced and changed by this mm-hmm. next generation. And the struggle that really took place in, in that time period between the generations was really big. Yeah, it's even bigger than what I would say is happening today with our generations. But the world was shifting. Civil rights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, feminism. Yeah, women standing up, like breaking through glass. Like this was the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. The war, men going off to war, and music, and yeah. it was a really awesome yeah. time for art. Yeah, and I mean, I also <laughs> really like. About it. Yeah, yeah. I also, my last note is that I really like how this song is very classic Broadway, while the okay. rest of the score is much more rock, like classic rock sound this song is very grassy and kind of kids it has a vaudeville feel to it it has an old-timey feel you know it has a like it just shows that they're stuck yeah they're stuck in a different time and they keep saying the same word kids kids it's like a record a broken record yeah yeah so it's interesting it's such a fascinating song. Yeah. Once again, Strauss and Lee, they got a really timeless message into this piece. They're in this, in this song. Yeah, smart. Very smart. Very smart. smart. So, okay. songs that you either skip or would cut. Autumn, what's your number one? I mean, I don't know. I, it's not my favorite musical anymore. <laughs> I mean, it was probably at one point <laughs> when I was doing it. But... I don't know. I'm. It's. I don't. I'm really kind of impartial. I'll I, tell you mine. Yeah, I got a feeling you. I got a feeling you'll agree with me on this one. No, probably. One boy. One boy. One steady boy. One boy to be with forever and ever. One boy. That's the way it should be. Yeah. One by one. Yeah, I just want Puncher in the Yeah. Yeah, like for me, like I don't like the song when it's Kim doing it because it feels so generic love ballady. But then you have Rosie's lines, which are one day he'll find out this is what life is all about. Will he ever see I need him and he needs me? One guy, one special guy, one guy to live for to care for be there for one guy that's the way it should be so like the, i like the mature end of the song with rosie at the end where it's the mature love point of view but the beginning part i'm like skip so freaking i just boring. hate that it's so reliant on women needing men i just mm-hmm. find like and but that's and, the 1950s mentality 
I know, I know. And I have to go back and remind myself that. Mm-hmm. It's the same with what did I ever see in him? That's like, my other that's my number two. It's like this <laughs> moment of of revelation. And then they're like, oh, I love you anyway. It's like, ugh. That's my number Lucky. two choice, which is yeah. what did I ever see? Do we need them? No, we don't. Do we want them? No, we don't. Will we leave them? No, we won't. Tell me what did I say that for? What did we ever see in them? How could we ever think that they were nice? Take it from us, we paid an awful price. It was rough from the start. Broken dates, broken nails, broken heart. What did I ever see in him? Because it's the typical angry, jaded woman song. And it's so generic and the lyrics reflect yeah. This, but it's so fast paced, the melody and frantic with the orchestra that you totally miss this, the simplicity of this song. That's like, okay, like this could be a really interesting soliloquy if directed properly, but yeah. oftentimes it's just played on the one angry note. And that's why I'm like, okay, boring. But well, my number three. Yeah. 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 I think it. she needs to be stuck. It needs to be a struggle. Yeah, I mean, Kim, I, I think there's way too much credit given to Kim. Yeah, Kim is, well, <laughs> what's going to Kim is handled directed. And I mean, that's where I get to my third pick, which is her big solo song in Act One, which is How Lovely to Be a Woman. How lovely to be a woman, the wait was well worthwhile. How lovely to wear mascara. And smile, a woman's smile. How lovely to have a figure that's round instead of flat. Whenever you hear boys whistle, you're what they're whistling at. It's wonderful to feel the way a woman feels. It gives you such a Because yeah. for me, I go. I'm with you. I I choose yours. I choose yours. You choose my list. Yeah, instead of just a generic overall list. Yeah. Well, for Except me, I go. I mean, I have lingering resentment for this song because when I played Randolph, I had to sit downstage in the dark, frozen, and like a vignette as Kim's up in the bedroom. So I hated that because I was yeah. like, damn, how long is this bloody song that I have to sit here for? And I couldn't move. So that was annoying. But the other reason I skip it is because I don't think I've ever seen this song performed right. It's, the song's always performed as cute. And what I think Strauss and Lee are going for is that it's giving Kim an edge. It's, it's exploring maturity. Rebellion maturity. Like, this is Kim maturing and becoming more womanly. But it's always like, oh, how lovely to be a woman. It's like okay, this is really cutesy and not hitting. For me, mark. it's for me, it's like a, a I feel pretty moment, right? Which once again isn't done right a lot of the time. It's played as I feel pretty, oh so pretty. There's no depth, even though you could give it depth if directed properly. It needs like, the Autumn she's Smith a teenager. Touch. She's a teenager, and you know what? Teenagers don't have a lot of depth. I mean, they do. We just mm-hmm. never see it. No, because well, we don't access are, it. 
they don't know who they are yet. So they're in that really gross, narcissistic, ugly place. Like she's performing what she thinks a woman should be. So in that way, it could be done very interestingly. Yeah. Like the amount of time Sarah and I go through Hannah's closet and help help her find the outfit that she's going to wear. Right. It's like, yeah, God, I'm going to throw on my sweatpants and do some work. (laughs) (laughs) The priorities are so far away from Mm -hmm. each other. Right. I have to look at today. It's like, eh, but yeah, and that's exactly this whole song. Like she says, like, hallelujah, you're 15. The braces disappear. Your skin is smooth and clear, and you have this happy, grown-up, female feeling. How lovely to be a woman. The wait was well worthwhile. How lovely to wear mascara and smile a woman's smile. How lovely to have a figure that's round instead of flat. When you hear boys whistle, you're what they're whistling at. Oh, yes. Let's objectify the girl. Great. But once again, but it's her... But it is objectifying, but it's also her character going. I, I made it through the awkward phase. I'm now getting the attention that I so want from from the men, from the opposite. No, sex. that 1950s "I need men to adore me" is so fucking boring. But I, just, so I think it, I think this goes beyond just men noticing. I think it's just the world noticing that you've gone from the gawky teen to now maturing i know but what is the end goal in that is to find the man to get the man and to be married and be the wife true but that's boring i mean she ends the musical engaged to hugo (laughs) i'm how boring again well boring maybe there's a sequel musical there the life of hugo is back to birdie (laughs) bring back birdie you mean that one Back to Birdie. That'll be season nine, everybody. After we do Les Mis, we will do Bring Back Birdie. No. (laughs) No. Never. (laughs) Call up. Well, there we go. That's my three. Do you have any others you want to add, Autumn, to the list? I'm sure most of them, but no, we'll stay at that. Okay. Stay at that. All right. All right. Okay. So, Autumn, does this music still have a place today? Should it be revived? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's so dated. It's so dated. I mean, there are things that sure you can do with it, but you can't play with it too much because the some of the music wouldn't make sense. Like some of the lyrics wouldn't make sense. Like if you're going to contemporize it and set it, you know, during the digital age, you wouldn't be going like you're going steady and you've been pinned. People would be like, well, what does that mean? That's freaky. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, but you could do it modernized because, but it's the fact that, like, yes, the world's modernizing, but the hometown old school mentality from older generations is still very much influencing the vocabulary and the choices of of the youth of the day. It's not though. Mm. This there's been a radical shift in the last ten years with teenagers, true, and they have. They feel entitled <laughs> to not listen. And right. it's a very different time. We're in a very different time. Space. Yeah. And kids are finding their own identity much sooner. I say go for it. I, yeah. 
you know what, if you want to be an advocate for yourself earlier on in your years, yes, but there's also the respect has shifted. So it's not as relevant now. It's mm. not like this. I find it, this musical dates itself. Whereas something well, Annie yeah. doesn't as much. And yeah, I think there are certain musicals that are very dated. This is one of them. Mm. I don't think it's, I don't think it's as relevant as it could be. Mm. Yeah. Community well, I- theater should do it. I don't think it should be on Broadway. I don't think people should be paying $250 a ticket to see this. I don't think it's, if you're going to do a musical that is, is relevant, do Hairspray. It's got this, it's the same feel. And yeah, I mean, look, these artists knew what they were doing at their time. Mm -hmm. And it's Strauss writes beautiful American music. He is the God of the American music. He writes Mm -hmm. just really amazing. Like between this Annie and rags, they're all so different but they all capture the essence of a very specific time and place. Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's kind of a muse. This one's a museum piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't think it should be revived on Broadway. I think it's fun. I think it's kitschy, but I think, but you know, who am I to judge? I, why not? Like, why not do it? Like we get to this section I'm telling, well, why not do it? People like it. People will go, people will spend money on it. Make the money yeah. if you're going to make the money. But I don't think it has anything important to say right now. See, for me, I wrote in big, in big letters, yes, <laughs> it's still the place it should be revived. This musical has timeless, a timeless quality to it and messages and themes that are still very applicable today from Albert and Rosie wanting to escape the hustle and bustle busy life to settle down, enjoy quiet stability to the topics of media, celebrity worship, generational changes, and misunderstandings between them are still so such time, timely and timeless messages that you can bring the show. I mean, yes, it is a very dated show in the sense of it's very specific to its time. Like, you actually have a song called Ed Sullivan is very, like, encapsulates its time. But I think the bigger messages and the bigger concepts that this musical is exploring are ones that you can still bring. And I mean, even if you do keep it set in the fifties and don't modernize the technology and have people tweeting at each other or singing over the, over cell phones to each other, mm. the concepts of, of the next future show, we haven't changed. Adults today are no. still singing about kids. We're still going through the celebrity worship with Conrad Birdie with Kim Kardashian. And Britney Spears, I mean, Save Britney and all this shit is, is still going on, right? Yeah, like, I suppose. Like, like it's that it's this message of, I guarantee if, I don't know, Justin Bieber came to Muskoka and did a concert, he would sell out and the kids will follow him down the road to a, to a, to the local dock to party. Sure, if he, if he of course they it. would, because people are obsessed with what they don't have. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And that's what this musical is. I mean, you also, you can break it down to simplest story of a man breaking away from his mother. How many people today are, are sure. how many people are still very much attached to their parent to a very uncomfortable yeah. level? <laughs> yeah, but so, 
I look. I agree with yeah. you. That, I agree with you that it is dated. Like the whole Conrad going and doing that ISIS thing is very statutory rapey and not like the best. Me too. The Me Too movement would never allow that. Like, oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, how do you make it relevant for a modern audience? That's the thing. It or would you take some dramaturgical it, work. You just make a, it a period piece and say this is what it is, and you go yeah. for it. Well, I don't, yeah, I think that's an interesting show. Like. If you said, Autumn, you can direct anything on the planet, Bye Bye Birdie would be very much probably at the bottom of my list to be at the I can see you doing this up in Muskoka. I can see you doing Bye Bye Birdie up in Muskoka. Of course, because it's about a small town and relevant to a small town. I mean, it's a satire about a small town. But it's also poking fun at small towns and people are more complicated than that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of stereotypes that are covered in this show. So Mm -hmm. I think there's... I think there's there needs to be more perspective on this piece. Mm-hmm. And if we're gonna make it sellable to a 21st century audience, those perspectives need to come through. I just don't know how to do that. I don't know. You'd have to seriously alter the piece. You'd have to do a lot of dramaturgical work to yeah. finesse it. Boy, yeah. Yeah. And oh, some boy. rewriting. And some rewriting too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there we go. That is Bye Bye Birdie. Thank you all so much for listening. Stay tuned for Autumn's next big hit single, Polish Pierogi. Tanya. Tanya, be hilarious. Be like a forbidden Broadway. The yes. songs that were supposed to be and never made it. Yeah, I love forbidden Broadway. It's great. Well, well, I have to, well, so, well some people have to do a review or, or do one of their shows because yeah. they're funny. I, I want Polish pierogi to be a forbidden Broadway song now. Forbidden Broadway, get on that. Please. But yeah, okay. So, Autumn, where can people find and follow you? All the places. Autumn DM Smith, Lesbianis, Littlewood Smith, Timber Beast Productions. And where can they All buy the tickets for the last five years? The Algonquin Theater in Huntsville, Ontario. Love it. Love it. I got my ticket. Awesome. Well, you also can follow our fantastic theme music composer, Mr. Brody Weld, the real life Albert Peterson. Yeah. At Father Flozis. You can listen to his latest album, Locusts, found on Bandcamp, Apple Music, and all other listening platforms. And you all can right. find and follow me at Mackenzie Horner, where you can follow my antics with Cup of Hemlock, where we do artist reviews, artist interviews, roundtable discussions, and don't forget to check out our Patreon page where Autumn and I give all types of extra good content from top 10 lists. We, we, we can even do top 10 people who should play Conrad Birdie. Because there's a lot of great celebrities who I think could fit that role well. Uh, we also do movie musical reviews. By the time you listen, you may have already seen our live movie musical commentary of West Side Story, the 2021 version. If not, it's coming. Stay tuned. And until then, everybody, remember to... Put on a happy face. Gray skies are gonna clear up. Put Put on a happy face. Brush off those clouds and cheer up. Exactly. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye!